I, in lieu of her, am reading from Luke 15:20 through 24. While the prodigal son was still a long way off, his father saw him. That already tells you something. And his father was moved, moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. And then his father said, then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, fetch the fattened calf, slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Gar. So thanks to Allie for stepping in last week while I was at annual conference. I am assured, as she usually does, that she was at her preaching last Sunday and that you guys definitely received a blessing in hearing from her. Would you say amen? amen. Did you mean that amen? <laughs> All right, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, today we are uh, still kind of taking a little bit of a break from our sermon series that we have been in where we talk about key relationships. This really could kind of fit in it, but I didn't plan it that way. But today we're talking about the prodigal love of God. Since it is Father's Day, we want to take a moment to recognize some of the relationships in our lives and how they influence us, how they influence our story, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, to understand how stories intersect one another and how they influence us in a variety of different ways. Now, I believe overarching, there is a powerful life-transforming story that we all may be a part of, but we may not necessarily fully embrace it every single day, and that is the story of God's love that is wild and radical and unparalleled in our world. It's a story that we know is eternal, and yet it's timely for us. It's a story that's corporate in its nature, and yet it's very personal for each one of us. So today we're going to consider that personal nature of God's love, that story that should transform our lives, a story that we should tell ourselves over and over and over, but also be telling to the world over and over and over. Story. We all know that stories can shape our lives, right? They shape some of our past and who we are. We have stories that shape our present. We tell ourselves stories that are going to shape our future. We think about all the stories that are around us as well, external, internal stories that are being told around us that influence. I did a little bit of reading about Father's Day, thinking about the stories of Father's Day. I thought about some of the traditions that we hold as part of our story and how those sometimes make it and sometimes don't make it, especially from generation to generation to generation. I read one that was a story about the thing, the way things used to be in the 1900s and what fathers expected in 1900 
versus the way they are today in our modern story. Are you interested in maybe some of the differences in the tradition that we've lost a little bit? Here's some of them. In 1900, fathers prayed their children would learn English. Today, fathers prayed that their children would have a conversation with them, and it wasn't through technology. Right? In 1900, fathers put a roof over their children's head. He was considered a success. Today, it takes a roof, a deck, a pool, and a four-car garage, and that's just a vacation home. In 1900, a father waited for the doctor to tell him when the baby arrived. Today, a father is part of the gender reveal party, learns how to breathe appropriately, and may even get to participate in the delivery of his children. In the 1900s, fathers passed on clothing to their children. Today, kids wouldn't touch dad's clothing if they were sliding down an icicle naked. (laughs) In 1900, fathers could count on their children to join the family business. Today, we fathers pray that our kids graduate from college, get a really good job, and move out of the basement before they're 30. In 1900, fathers shook their children gently and whispered to them, Wake up. It's time for school. Today, your children violently shake you at 4 a.m. and say, Wake up. It's time for hockey practice. Right? In 1900, a father gave a pencil box to his child for Christmas. The child was all smiles about it. Today, a father spends $800 on Amazon, and the children opens up the Christmas presents and then says, But I wanted... Fill in the blank. In 1900, a father came home from work. He would find his wife and his children at the dinner table. Today, a father comes home to a note, and it says, Jimmy's at baseball. Cindy's at gymnastics. I'm at the gym. Pizza in the fridge. John Plump wrote a a quick line. He said, the one thing children wear out faster than shoes is their parents. You think about stories that we live Stories that we've lived in our past that have formed and shaped us. Maybe the story we're living in right now. The one that we might be crafting for our future. And how those stories are shaping where we are headed. And in particular, the stories that frame kind of who we believe we are or who we want to be. In 1999, there was a history teacher out in Uniontown, uh, Kansas. He gave his high school students an assignment for National History Day. invited them to go in and find a subject to research and then report on. While brainstorming some different ideas, a ninth grader by the name of Elizabeth Cambers stumbled upon an old clipping from U.S. News and World Report. The storyline of it was this. Irina Sendler saved 2,500 children from the Warsaw ghettos in 1942 to 1943. Elizabeth was enamored with that storyline. And so she invited a friend of hers, another ninth grader by the name of Megan Stewart, to jump in on this project with her. And the two of them began to pour over various materials to see if they could discover who this Irene Sindler was. Megan got even more in-depth in it, really took on the project. And she began to learn about this young, unassuming Polish nurse who began creating in 1942 thousands of false identities for small children so she could smuggle them out of the ghettos in Warsaw. Her tactic was that she would put a child in a gunny sack, put them on the bottom of the cart, and then put potatoes over the top of the child. 
She had a dog that she trained to bark at the Nazi soldiers because she knew that would probably keep them at a distance, but it was also cover some of the noise a small child might be making on the cart. And she smuggled child after child after child out of the ghetto. She took each one of them's name, wrote them down on a little piece of paper, and stuffed it in a jar, and then she buried that jar, hoping that one day she'd be able to unbury that jar, open it up, find each one of the children, and reveal to them what their real name was so they could reconnect with their family. But Irene Sindler was captured by the Nazis, and she was executed. Now imagine yourself as a young person reading this story and how it might influence you, because Megan and her friend began to shape this story. They moved it from beyond just a school report to crafting it into a play, and the play was called Life in a Jar. It was performed at various high schools out in their area, made it into a couple of theaters, and news got out about it. Word was reported of what was going on. It wound up on CNN, NPR, and the Today Show. The power of this young nurse's story and how it empowered another young lady. Megan Stewart, who is now Megan Felt, is program director for the Lowell Milliken Center for Unsung Heroes. That's a nonprofit organization that continues to teach students, share with students, the stories of luminaries, unsung heroes from the past, so that their story might not get lost in the future. When interviewed about this, Megan Felt said, I continue to be inspired by Irene Sendler every single day story still shapes who I am becoming. Think about that, stories. The power of these external stories around us that we hear, that can motivate us, can move us, can shape who we are. But you also think about the internal stories that some of us tell ourselves and what transpires through that kind of crafting of a story. I'm assuming that all of us are aware of of people like Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade who recently took their own lives by their own hands. And, and think about that for a moment. You know, to me, from all outward appearance, it seemed to be people, two people, who had everything going for them in their lives, right? They had wealth. They had prominence. They seemed to be healthy. I mean, you think about Anthony Bourdain and all the fascinating places that he has traveled that none of us will ever see in our lives. And yet somewhere on the inside, a different story emerged than what appeared on the outside. I have no idea what ever transpires in someone's head. I would never, ever think that I could know exactly what's on someone's heart and mind that finds themselves at that point. But somehow their story changed. Something about their story changed in such a way that they thought the world would be better without them than it is with them power of stories outside of us and the powers of stories that we tell ourselves. I would encourage you to take a few moments, if you would, just to simply sometime in the next day or two read the full text of what Luke records, Jesus telling the story of the prodigal son. Read the whole story and take a moment and just ponder the magnificence of it. What Jesus uses as an illustration to define for us a story that can shape and be our story, that can communicate to us something that could inform who we become. But let's recap it just for a couple of minutes in our own words, this story that, that you'll read, right? 
There's a father who has two sons, according to Jesus, as he tells this story. The elder son we know is the faithful, unassuming. He is hardworking. He does exactly what the father expects of a son that would be in his employ. He's got a younger son as well. The younger son is restless, unashamed. He's disrespectful. And in the story does what we would consider to be the unthinkable. The younger son crafts for himself an internal story. It must have been something like, you deserve your inheritance. You, you know better what to do with your life than what your father wants you to do with it. It's, it's time to spread your wings and get out and see the world, right? So he comes to his father and he says to him, give me my inheritance. He does the unthinkable. Now, we might miss that a little bit in, in our culture today, but for Jesus and his time, that had an extreme significance to it because basically it meant this. It meant the son was telling his father, you are dead to me. Because in Jesus' world, you didn't get your inheritance while your father was still alive. You only got your inheritance when your father died. And so basically the son, by asking for his inheritance prematurely, was saying to his father, you are dead. But if you think about it, Jesus doesn't add any commentary to this when he says that the father simply gave the son his inheritance. No, no conversation about it. No, are you sure? No, you really don't want to do this. The father doesn't beg and plead with the son. Jesus, in his language, is simple. He says the father gives him his inheritance and lets him go his way. And the son goes off into a far country He wastes his inheritance on extravagant living, which is where we get the term prodigal. Because when you look up the word prodigal, it means simply wasteful or recklessly extravagant. Giving or yielding profusely, lavish, abundant. The synonyms for it are words like profligate, copious, bounteous. The younger son was wasteful. He was reckless in his lavish living. He was a prodigal. Told himself a story, and he was convinced that it was best for him. But then he finds himself in a, a different circumstance all of a sudden. After squandering all that his father had given him, he also finds himself in the middle of a famine in a foreign country. So he says, okay, I'll hire myself out as a servant to a local farmer, and he does, and the farmer sends him out to the fields to feed the pig. You think the story's going downhill, but it hasn't gotten to the bottom yet. Because not only is he out feeding the pigs, he's starving while he's doing it, and he considers feeding himself, eating the pods that he is feeding to the pigs. That's as low as he possibly could go in his story. He could have, with all pride, stayed right there in that moment, but he doesn't. All of a sudden, a different story begins to emerge. He begins to conceive of of something different, a new possibility for him. Jesus says that the son comes to his senses, begins telling himself a different story. Wow, in my father's house, all the servants have a bed and they have food to eat. And there's plenty there. I'll bet if I go home and I tell my father I've sinned against heaven and against him, he'll take me back in. Don't expect him to make me one of his sons again, but... I guess I could be one of his hired servants because at least I'd have a bed and I'd have something to eat. I wouldn't be feeding pigs and I wouldn't be considering pods. 
So he gets up, and he travels home. Now here for me is the best part of Jesus' story. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion and ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. The story changes for me to think about who now is sharing the generosity of love. It was the father, not the son. If you think about it, the love of the father was prodigal. It was recklessly extravagant with his son. It yielded profusely, lavishly, abundantly upon him. It was copious. It was bounteous for both of his sons, for the faithful one and the restless one. Jesus tells us a story that's supposed to represent the love of God that is for every single one of us. A love that is faithful for us and even restless for us. That will chase us down from a long distance to make sure that we know that we are embraced and loved and kissed by God. It's a story that should be timeless, true, and it should be a story that alters our life, could transform our lives for salvation now and salvation forevermore. It should be an inspirational story to the power of love and what it can do. I don't know how many of you take time to read motivational writers or to listen to motivational and inspirational speakers, but I came across one this week. It was a man by the name of John O'Leary. John tells his story, and it goes back to when he was a nine-year-old boy. That's kind of a changing point in his story, but He said as a nine-year-old boy, he was like most nine-year-old boys. He was inquisitive. He was curious. Kind of a daredevil. But also like most nine-year-old boys, he became a little enamored with fire. Kids sometimes will play with fire when they're not supposed to, right? And he and his friends, whenever they would find a place that they thought was kind of secret or safe, they would find something that they could just set on fire. They got away with that for quite a bit, right? In particular, though, John found himself kind of fascinated with gasoline and how the vapors of gasoline could actually catch fire before the liquid of gasoline ever would. And so he tested it out one day in his father's garage, poured a little gasoline out, set it on fire. But it was a little too close to the gas can because the vapors caught fire and the the fire went inside the nozzle and into the gas can, and you know what happens next, right? The gas can exploded. It literally blew apart one-third of his parents' house. The blast was so strong, it cast him all the way across the garage in his parents' home. Fire and rescue came, found John, transported him to the emergency room because he had sustained burns over 100% of his body. He was not expected to live through the night. His parents arrived at the hospital. John was barely conscious, but he says he vividly remembers one particular moment. And that was the moment his dad came into his hospital room, stood over his bed, and with a commanding voice looked at him and said, John, look at me. No matter what else happens, I want you to know, I love you. The power of a father who said, I love you. All the things that dad could have said in that moment, simply say, of all things, I want you to know, I love you. John O'Leary made it through that night and now lives to tell his story over and over and over to inspire others. 
When I heard that story in the response of John's father, I immediately thought of the prodigal love of God that is for every single one of us, that is going to come to us no matter what story we find ourselves in the middle of, no matter what story you've created for yourself, and no matter what story you might have created between you and someone else, or no matter what story you've created between you and God, God is going to come and respond to you with the same three words every single time. I love you. I love you. I love you. So I wonder what story are you finding yourself in the middle of today? What is the prevailing story in your life today? What have you told yourself? Or what story have you created maybe with someone else that's dominating your life? What is your story with God? What is prevailing as your story today? I hope it's the one that's centered in these words. For God so loved you. So I hope you remember today that all of us know the power of stories in our world especially the stories that we tell ourselves, the ones that we let shape our own hearts and minds. But also to be reminded that there are stories that are of God, and they are the stories that can make a difference in our lives, in particular the story of the prodigal love of God, and that we aren't near the end of our story yet as long as God continues to tell us that he loves us. And no matter what story you've created for yourself, or with someone else, or even with God, I believe God's words, I love you, can transform any of those, any of those stories, to the one that will give you life, and life forevermore. So I hope you're reminded that there's a powerful life-transforming story that we are all a part of, and now hopefully we will all daily embrace. It is the story of God's love that is wild and radical and unparalleled. It's a story of God's love that's eternal and yet timely, It is corporate and personal. It's a story of God's love that we should be telling ourselves over and over. It's a story that we should be telling to the world over and over. And so I want to invite you to bow with me now for a moment of prayer. And in that prayer, I want to ask you a couple of things maybe that you could pray over today for yourself. Maybe in your prayer, your prayer is about a negative story that you've told yourself. And you're living in the power of it in this moment. I hope you hear that God says, I love you. And that you can come and live in His transforming power. Maybe you're stuck in a negative story that's developed between you and someone else. And I hope you hear that God's love can transform that relationship transform that story. Maybe somewhere along the journey, your story has kind of turned sour with God. Maybe something's happened, and you just don't know if God loves you. You don't even know if God is out there. I hope you hear today, through us, the body of Christ, how reckless God's love is for you, and that the Father sees you afar off and is running toward you today. Maybe today you just simply take a moment to pray for someone that you know that is mired in a bad story, a negative story. And for God to give you the opportunity to share with them those words, God loves you. Oh, merciful God, in this moment of prayer, 
whatever our story has become, we pray, O God, that we see you in the middle of it. For some of us, it might be that story that continues of faith, continues of love and embrace. We are walking with you each and every day. We know the wild, radical, unparalleled love that you have for us. We are centered in it. For others of us, this may be a struggle. There's some negativity in our story that's taking its place and hold. And oh Lord, we just need you to come in to reform, reshape, help us tell a new story. One that is centered in your love for us and for others. Oh Lord, through the power of your Spirit, May you work in each one of us. May your will be done in each one of us. And may your love shine forth through each one of us. And we pray this in Christ's name.